The secret to solving the obesity puzzle. This is Carrie, and I love puzzles. Anybody that knows me knows that I like putting a puzzle together. And I am really good at putting the obesity treatment puzzle together. I want to bring you my knowledge, share with you, dissect each topic, and explain why it's so important for you to understand that each topic plays a very important role with the management of obesity and the treatment for obesity. Let's keep learning and building our masterpiece towards health and wellness. It is just as important as the air we breathe. I'm going to talk about sleep and how essential it is to our health and well-being and how it relates to obesity. Sleep is so important, it is just as important as the food we eat, the air we breathe, the water we drink. It is considered the basics of our bodily functions. We have to have good sleep. Sleep promotes growth and development. It repairs multiple system functions, including our immune system. It helps with healthy brain function, and it also helps us consolidate our memories at night. Getting enough sleep is not just a luxury. We need it for good health. Virtually every part of our body experiences notable changes during sleep. Upon falling asleep, thousands of neurons in our brain switch from waking to the sleeping state, sending signals throughout our body. The biological role of sleep is not fully understood, but research has demonstrated that it reinforces the cardiovascular system, it improves our immune system, and it helps regulate our metabolism. What happens during sleep can be seen in notable changes in core bodily processes and functions, especially if we don't get enough. The National Centers of Sleep Disorders Research strongly suggests that sleep has many protective effects on our body systems, helping prevent heart disease, cancer, and dementia. It has a profound effect on our immune system and our growth hormone factor. The National Institutes of Health funded a project in 2022 showed that sound sleep supports essential immune function. This study showed after just six weeks of sleep deprivation or insomnia showed a suppression of our immune system and our white blood cell production in our bone marrow. This study showed that by the fifth and the sixth weeks of these folks in the sleep deprivation research study found that they had higher levels of circulating monocytes, which is a white blood cell that is produced in our bone marrow. There were also higher levels of immune stem cells in the blood that was tested and inflammatory markers leading to the conclusion that lack of sleep promotes inflammation and suppressed immune system response. As you likely know by now, chronic inflammation can lead to multiple disease processes. Therefore, having lack of sleep raises your risk of heart disease, cancer, and dementia. 
Sleep loss also creates hormone imbalances in our body that promote us to overeat and feel hungry. Leptin and ghrelin are the hormones that regulate our appetite and when we aren't getting enough sleep, the production of these hormones is altered in a way that creates us to feel hungry and then we have a tendency to crave the high calorie foods. Sleep deprivation is associated with growth, hormone deficiency, and elevated cortisol levels, both of which been linked to obesity. Insufficient sleep can impair your metabolic rate as far as food metabolism as well. So what is normal? Adults usually need seven to nine hours of sleep and then people over 65 usually can manage with seven to eight hours of sleep. But any of us that have had children know that as a young child or toddler, they need 11 to 14 hours of sleep because they're growing. All of their structures need all that sleep. And then as we become teenagers, sometimes teenagers sleep quite a bit, but typically they should sleep eight to 10 hours a night. I think insomnia happens to us all from time to time, but what constitutes chronic insomnia? The definition of chronic insomnia is greater than three nights a week having trouble staying asleep or getting to sleep and lasting at least three months. A surprising statistic says one in three adults suffer from chronic insomnia. Let's dive into what happens when we sleep. There are a total of four stages of sleep. We have stage one, which is non-REM sleep. This is the beginning stage as we lay down. Your brain starts to slow, your heartbeat, your eye movement, and your breathing slow as well. And your body starts to relax, your muscles start to relax, and you may have some muscle twitching. This is the lightest period of sleep that lasts for about five to 10 minutes. We move on to stage two, another non-REM sleep, spending approximately 50% of our total sleep in this stage two. It lasts for about 20 minutes every cycle of sleep, and then we move on to the next stage. During stage two, you become less aware of your surroundings, your body temperature drops, your eye movements stop, and your breathing and your heart rate become more regular. During stage two, your brain produces bursts of rapid rhythmic brain wave activity known as sleep spindles. This is thought to help your brain gather process and filter new memories that you acquired from the previous day. During this period of stage two sleep, your body is preparing to enter into stage three sleep and moving on to REM sleep, the deep sleep stages where your brain and hormones will kick in and body repairs will happen, you will be restored, your immune system will be regenerated and you'll be reset for the coming day. Moving on to stage three, which is also called non-REM sleep, but another term for it is delta sleep, 
This is where our body truly does all of its physical repairs. It gets ready to be refreshed for the next day and it helps with memory consolidation. Helps generate knowledge, facts, and statistics, personal experiences that you might have had the day before. This is essential for learning. Going into stage four, otherwise REM sleep, your brain actually is the most aroused at this point, most acutely active, but your involuntary muscles become immobilized. During REM sleep, your brain's activity is most closely resembled its activity during your waking hours. You're temporarily paralyzed, which is a good thing, so you don't act out your dreams that you're having. Your brain lights up with activity. Your body is relaxed and immobilized. Your breathing is faster and irregular. Your eyes are moving rapidly behind your closed lids, and you dream. It is thought that this is where our emotions and our emotional memories are processed and stored. During our deep sleep cycle, stage three and REM sleep, your cells repair and rebuild themselves, and hormones are secreted to promote bone and muscle growth. Your body also uses deep sleep to strengthen your immune system so you can fight off illness and infection. The total sleep cycle usually takes about 90 to 110 minutes. It takes us about 90 minutes to get into a very deep REM sleep that lasts initially for the first 10 minutes or so. With each sleep cycle, our REM sleep cycle can increase up to 60 minutes at a time. The sequence of sleep stages aren't in order, which is funny to think about. Our sleep begins with non-REM sleep stage 1, Moving on to non-REM sleep stage 2. After 2, moving to non-REM sleep stage 3. Then back to non-REM sleep stage 2. Then it's repeated and then we finally get into REM sleep. Once we have achieved REM sleep, then we start at stage 2 and the cycle begins again. Dreaming is most prevalent and intensive during REM sleep, but it can actually occur in any sleep stage. Dreams that happen during non-REM sleep versus REM sleep tend to show different patterns, with REM dreams often being more fanciful, immersive, and bizarre. Sleep in the body's internal clock or circadian rhythm plays an important role in regulating production of numerous hormones while we sleep. Melatonin, which helps promote sleep, is also produced while we sleep. Growth hormone, which supports our bone and muscle development. Cortisol, which is part of the body's stress response, is suppressed when we get a good night's sleep. Leptin and ghrelin, which helps control our appetite, are all regulated with a good night's sleep. Hormone levels fluctuate during our night's sleep and throughout the sleep cycles. Sleep loss creates hormone imbalances in the body that promotes overeating and weight gain. Not only does insomnia affect us as adults, it really does have an impact on children. Can 
contribute to childhood obesity. Children require more sleep than adults. Therefore, if they do not get enough sleep, their increased risk of becoming overweight or obese is much higher. Those who have experience with sleep deprivation or poor sleep patterns have elevated hormone levels leading to weight gain. Not only does it lead to weight gain, it increases our daytime fatigue and sleepiness, therefore, as a result, decreases our daytime activity or drive to exercise. Research has shown that children who went to bed later had worse dietary quality, consuming more nutrient-poor foods, fewer fruits and vegetables than children who had a better night's sleep. There are many health conditions that can affect sleep. A lot of those health conditions are also found in the overweight or obese population that compounds insomnia, such as obstructive sleep apnea, gastroesophageal reflux disease, depression, asthma, and osteoarthritis. Other side effects from getting poor sleep is just chronic fatigue daytime sleepiness, inability to really focus, some memory issues, moodiness, impaired job performance, and just overall not feeling great. In the Journal of Aging and Health, they state that long-term insomnia during a person's working years could increase our cognitive decline after we retire. The ideal number for sleep for adults, again, is seven to nine hours. Too little or too much is associated with cognitive decline. In fact, research from Texas Tech University in Lubbock has found that sleeping less than seven hours per night doubles a person's risk of becoming obese. Studies show that women who sleep five or fewer hours a night have a 30% greater chance of developing coronary artery disease. In general, more women than men have issues with insomnia, particularly in midlife or associated with menopause. The question to ask is, do you or someone that you know or a patient of yours has primary insomnia or secondary insomnia, meaning that the insomnia is caused by another disease process. Some of the common causes of secondary insomnia are depression and anxiety. Is insomnia a result of the disease? Many medications can influence insomnia. Over-the-counter products, caffeine, exercise, or perhaps other disease processes like thyroid disease or allergies, high blood pressure. Whatever the cause of insomnia, there's lots of ways to try to help to promote better sleep. Some interesting things about sleep I wanna talk about. Have you ever started to fall asleep and all of a sudden you got startled or your muscles jerked and kind of woke you up? That's actually called hypnic jerks which starts with sudden involuntary muscle contractions that you may experience as you're falling asleep. As you enter the stages of the sleep cycle, it's normal for your muscles to relax, of course, but the brain gets kind of confused, and for a minute, it thinks you're falling. 
In response, the brain causes your muscles to tense as a way to catch yourself before you fall to the ground. Then your body makes a jerking motion and then it relaxes. You can have multiple jerky motions, but there is something called restless leg syndrome or other diseases that if you have involuntary movement throughout the night, you should speak to your provider. I wanna talk about vivid dreams. Uh, boy, I have a lot of vivid dreams and I remember a lot of my dreams. But then when I talk to my husband, he doesn't remember dreaming at all, which I think is really strange. We spend about two hours per night dreaming. Many people don't remember their dreams. However, sometimes you wake with a clear memory of what you dreamt. The content of vivid dreams can cause feelings of joy and comfort. You can also find yourself wishing that you want to go back to the dream because it was fantastical leaving you wondering how your brain could even conjure up such a strange scenario. But then there's others who have really vivid dreams that are upsetting and disturbing and then can cause some sleep quality disturbances. The two main stages of sleep is REM sleep and the stage three non-REM sleep that we typically dream. Fragmented sleep meaning that we wake up during REM sleep, that's when we have increased chances of remembering our dreams. Some other things that intensify our dreams is sleep deprivation. When we're sleep deprived and then we finally get some sleep, it increases our dream intensity the following night. Evidence suggests that individuals suffering from symptoms of anxiety experience dreams that are more upsetting in content. There is medication that can lead to the vividness of our dreams. Medications such as SSRIs, those medications used to help treat anxiety and depression, have been shown to decrease how often a patient remembers their dreams. On the other hand, there's medication that causes dreams. One of these medications is called a beta blocker. People take this for blood pressure. It states that beta blockers can increase the intensity and frequency of nightmares. Just from my own experience as a provider, when I discuss starting someone on anti-smoking medication, or nicotine cessation medication, some of those medications promote wild, crazy, bizarre dreams. So one interesting, funny fact about sleeping. We actually burn calories while we're sleeping. The average calorie burn is 50 to 80 calories per hour that we sleep. If you thought you burned 50 calories an hour and you got eight hours of sleep, you're burning about 400 calories and we burn more calories the longer time we spend in REM sleep. That's when our brain is most active. There's good news. There are ways to solve insomnia. There's many ways to solve insomnia. Let's get started talking about each one. There is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia. It's abbreviated as CBT-I. It specifically focuses on cognitive behavior treatment focused on insomnia. 
and there are specialists and sleep doctors who do this primarily for their practice. Some sleep medicine specialists recommend sleep restriction. Now I know that sounds counterproductive, <laughs> but when you sleep deprive someone, they truly get into a sleep state faster versus laying in bed and tossing and turning and not being able to fall asleep, making them stay up later, get up earlier, is shown to be quite helpful. You increase the time in bed by 15 minute, minutes at a time until the daytime drowsiness disappears. You really want to set the stage for yourself to get good sleep hygiene, otherwise known as good sleep habits. Become a creature of habit. Set your bedtime and your wake time primarily about the same time every day. Do not exercise at least four hours before you go to sleep. It's proven to have better sleep you want to sleep in a cool, dark, quiet, safe place. The temperature recommendation for good sleep is 60 degrees to 67 degrees Fahrenheit. Be careful about daytime sleeping. Do not nap unless you absolutely need to. And then if you do give in to a nap, only keep it between 20 and 30 minutes. Follow a de-stress before bedtime routine. Some relaxation, stretching, yoga, meditation, deep breathing, hot tea, hot bath, just some type of routine to get you to kind of unwind, de-stress, try to forget about the day's worries. Lastly, go to bed a little bit hungry. You do not want to fall asleep with a full stomach. That will inhibit sleep metabolism and how well you go to sleep. Now what about pets? <laughs> a lot of people sleep with their pets. But unfortunately, a lot of times their pets wake them up multiple times a night or scrunch up right next to them or move them into a position that you're not very comfortable because you don't want to disturb your pet. On the other hand, some people find it very comforting to warm up and snuggle up to their pet. So to do an experiment, if you're feeling daytime sleepiness, fatigue and moodiness, do an experiment and closing the door and making your pet sleep somewhere else and see how you feel the next day. Now I talk about a nighttime routine and I do discuss this with my patients that really your bedroom, your bed, should be for sleep and for sexual intimacy. That brings me to the point, what about sexual intercourse? Does it improve our sleep? What does the literature say? The National Library of Medicine published a research study in 2019 regarding this subject, sex and sleep, the perception of sex and if it helps with sleep promotion behaviors. By the way, this was not the only study that I read. There are lots of studies out there evaluating the relationship of sexual intercourse 
and how it applies to our sleep and our sleep habits. The NIH study looked at 778 participants over a year's time, examining if there were any gender differences between sexual activities, meaning masturbation, sex with a partner without orgasm, or sex with a partner with orgasm, and how it affected their sleep and sleep behavior. It is important to understand that sexual intercourse with orgasm on a biologic level increases oxytocin, prolactin, and inhibits cortisol. Remember, cortisol is bad. It causes inflammation and lots of other things. It was an interesting study. 70.8% felt that orgasms with a partner was associated with favorable sleep outcomes. However, orgasms achieved through masturbation were associated with a perception of better sleep quality in only 48% of the people. And sexual intercourse without orgasm had a very distinct gender difference with 68% of the males said they got better sleep. Remember, that's sexual intercourse without orgasm and 59% of the females said that they got quality sleep. Overall, 70.8% of partners that had sexual intercourse, both having an orgasm, all reported better sleep. The article ended up in its conclusion promoting safe sex, of course, before bed may offer a novel behavior strategy from promoting sleep. That might be part of your strategy set to try to get better sleep. Lastly, I want to talk about where does medication and supplements fit in to help us with sleep. One of the most common over-the-counter supplements is melatonin. We produce natural melatonin, especially with exposure to sunlight and getting good sleep. But if you're not getting good sleep, then you might not have enough melatonin. The other supplement that's over the counter that's widely known to help induce sleep is called valerian root. I've had patients tell me that valerian root is much stronger than melatonin. I have never personally tried valerian root but I have heard antics that valerian root causes a much more hangover kind of effect the next day. Moving on to other medication such as hypnotics. These drugs are Ambien and Lunesta and Sonata. This turns on the brain's sleep switch. There's another drug class that turns off the wake switch. This drug is called Belsamra. There are also drugs out there that stimulate the receptors to produce melatonin in our body. And then lastly, there's the over-the-counter medications such as antihistamines, which act on our central nervous system. Now, I only resort to insomnia type medication if someone truly has tried good sleep hygiene. They've tried to incorporate all the things that are recommended. 
uh, to help promote good sleep. And then at that point, if they have truly tried all those things, I will recommend a, some type of sleep aid because as you know, after listening to this podcast, sleep is vital for our health. Now recapping everything that I just went over. How important is sleep? I hope you understand that it is not a luxury. We need it for survival. We see the effects of poor sleep just after 24 hours on our cognitive, our mood, our basic metabolic function. There was a Guinness Book of World Record, a 17-year-old young man named Randy Gardner. In 1963, he amazingly stayed awake for 11 days and 25 minutes without sleep. He did not take any stimulants. He did have people talking and interacting with him to help him stay awake. He made the Guinness Book of World Records, but he will be the only holder of that record because it was thought to be too dangerous to go without sleep and they wouldn't want anybody else to attempt to deprive themselves of such an extreme amount of sleep for so many days as it had detrimental effects on his health. Chronic insomnia needs to be fixed. There is a direct link between insomnia and obesity. As you know by now, conventional wisdom has taught us that being overweight is much more complex than just a simple function of behavior or lack of willpower. Truly, sleep loss is one of the risk factors for obesity. Again, this is another piece of the puzzle. If you are struggling with being overweight or obese, evaluate your own self, your own sleep habits. Also, if you're a provider trying to help people lose weight and get healthy, evaluate their sleep. Send them for a sleep study. Send them to a sleep specialist. Help recommend all those tools in the tool chest to help someone get a better night's sleep. I hope you learned something and there are more pieces of the puzzle and more to come.